title of today's message is On Trials. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. The job I previously worked for uh, had a division in Milwaukee. Most of you know I worked up there as a paramedic, and we would be required occasionally to pull overtime shifts in addition to our normally scheduled 48 hours a week. They would schedule us sometimes for 12 to 24 hours a week up in the Milwaukee division, which had a, because they have such a high call volume up there, they literally can run 18 to 20 calls in 24 hours. So they are constantly on the move, and because of that, they have a high turnover rate. So whenever we would have an exodus of people, they would call us up there to work. And we would get stuck with partners, usually new people, that, um, where us more senior people could kind of take under our wings and show them around and show them how we did things at that ambulance company. And I remember I got put with a young lady who was kind of, um, kind of, I guess we would consider here in Whitehall kind of odd looking. She had, you know, big gauges in her ears. She was covered in tattoos. Uh, she was kind of very, um, I don't know how you would put it, I don't want to say goth, but kind of, kind of leaning more toward a, a goth kind of appeal where she was kind of dark and, and sinister, almost vampirish looking. And, and we got to talking and she had found out that she was getting teen with a pastor and she had um, a lot of reservations about that because she came from a very, 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 very strict religious background. We're talking the yardstick on the out there on the stairs, we're talking hair up in a bun, no makeup for the women. Women were to sit in the back and be quiet in church. I mean, it was a very, very, very strict religious background. Well, what happened is, you know, she became a teenager, and later in her teenage years, she got a boyfriend. Boyfriend and her did some things they weren't supposed to, and she ended up being pregnant. Both of them were immediately thrown out of pretty much driven right out of town. They weren't um, given any chance to repent. They weren't given even a chance to get married. She was just driven out of that community and shunned by all of her friends, all of her family, and all that thing. And she had gone through a lot of very difficult and very hard things. And I remember talking to her about that. And they both had this idea that they were outside the grace of God, that there was no way they could ever come back to it, that they had committed an impartable sin, and they were living like it. They were, they kind, her and her boyfriend kind of had the opinion that, you know what, we have messed up, we have done the unforgivable sin, we can never return to God, and they lived like that. So, you know, you have the gauges in the ears, you have all these tattoos, you have all these, you know, the different things that they were doing in their life, and I remember talking with her over sitting in parking lots and staging in various parts of the city because the Milwaukee division does not sit still. It usually they move them around the city. You end up sitting in a parking lot staging when other units go out, so we have units close. And it's, it's pretty complicated when you look at it from the outside. But, you know, you have a lot of time to talk to people. And I got to tell her about the grace of God and and that she wasn't beyond redemption and start recommending some churches to her. And, and from what I hear and see on Facebook once in a while that her and her husband, or now husband, are both going to church and they're serving God. And, you know, I had maybe just a little bit a part of that, but I think it's something that she was heading for on her own. But how many people 
do you know that are like that, that think that they are beyond God's grace? How many people do you know that laugh at the prospect of going to hell? I had that the other day at work where somebody said, well, I'm just going to go to hell anyway. I know God doesn't love me. And they kind of laugh at that. And I just looked at her and I said, do you understand what you just said? Do you know that God made a way for you not to go there? And, it got, and she goes, well, I was just kidding. I'm like, there are just some things you don't talk about, or you don't joke about. You don't joke about abusing children. <laughs> That's kind of what, almost on the level of what we're talking about here. It's some things you're joking about. You're talking about your eternal destiny. But this is the kind of behavior that we can expect from those who have not committed their lives to Jesus. But even more pernicious, even worse, how many of us live in fear that somehow you're not measuring up to God's standards? How many of you live in fear about that? How many of us are constantly walking in the, the fear of God, looking at every little thing that happens to us in life as either a sign of God's pleasure or his anger with you? I mean, you wake up tomorrow morning and you're getting ready to go to work or you're getting ready to, to, to go for a drive of some type and you turn the key and the car doesn't start. Oh, what did I do now, God? What are you punishing me for? Maybe the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis. Oh, God, I guess you're catching up with me. I thought I got away with that stuff and now you're, now you're lowering the boom on me. Maybe your children are getting into trouble and you're thinking, well, God has is, God is just withdrawn his presence from my family because he's told me to get rid of this sin in my life and I struggle and I struggle and he hasn't gotten it all the way out and so he's going to punish me through my children. And, and, and we get these kind of thoughts going through our mind or maybe your spouse and you are fighting and you're thinking that, that God has is, is somehow left your marriage. And how many of us live in that prison of fear and doubt about God and his dealings with us? But I want to tell you this morning, that's not what the Bible teaches us about God and his relationship to us as father. He is our father. He isn't some capricious deity sitting on a throne in heaven waiting to cast a lightning bolt your way. He is our father. Christ died for our sins. If Jesus had stayed in the tomb, you might have an argument for living in fear. But he didn't. He rose again. He is risen. That means that all the wrath of God was poured out. It's gone. For those of you that believe in him, it's gone. There is nothing but love for you. And we need to stop living in that Old Testament mindset that is always looking for cause and effect in our lives. Sometimes life is just life. The book of James starts talking about this, and it's, it's really all about that. Jesus' little brother is helping to transition us from that Old Testament mindset of, of performance-based faith to a mindset of the freedom and assurance that we exist in the grace and love of God. So that's the goal of our time here this morning. Today's message is meant to help change our whole mindset, and in particular, how we think and how we view our Father in heaven when the hard times come. So that if we have rebellious children, we're not going back and saying, God, I'm sorry, you know, I, I know it was because of my sin back here. 
I, I, I know, I, oh, God's punishing me. He doesn't love me anymore. Or if you're having problems at work and you're thinking that God has left you or there's bills that need to be paid and there's no money, when the car breaks down, you go home today and the, te- the pet is torn apart the garbage and you're wondering that God, you know, how God is mad at you and, and, and used your floor as a bathroom. I mean, you're always thinking when these hard trials come that somehow God is, is, is intimately involved in trying to lower the boom on you. But that's not what our Father is really like. So let's read about it in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." And Father, we ask, Lord, that as we look through your word today, as we discuss the truth that we see in Scripture, that it be made the truth in our own minds. It's one thing to hear about it. It's one thing to to read about it. But it's another thing to believe it. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to believe the truth of your word this morning. Because if we believe it, we will be able to show it to this world. Because that is what you have left us here to do, to go forth and make disciples. So, Father, be with us. Make our minds clear and free of distractions that we may hear the word of God as it's being preached this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we're going to take this scripture and we're going to look at the different ways that we as Christians should react to trials. And I came up with three R's to remember when the trials come. The first one is our reaction. The second R is the result. And the third R is the reward of trials. And they all come from points within this scripture. So let's look at the first one. And that first one is our reaction to trials. What does it say that our reaction to trials should be here? He said, count it all joy. That's not our natural reaction when it comes to a trial, is it? That's not our natural reaction to hard, tri- to hard times is to say, oh, I'm full of joy that my car doesn't start. I'm full of joy that my kids are rebellious. I'm full of joy that all this bad stuff keeps happening to me. It's not our, it's not our natural disposition to, to count it all joy. But that's because we have a wrong understanding of joy. I looked up, you know, the joy in the various dictionaries that, that, are, that I have available to me, and I came up kind of with my own definition from there, is that joy is a permanent state of mind and spirit as we yield to the Holy Spirit. That is why joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Happiness, on the other hand, everybody wants to pursue being happy. How many people have you known that have shipwrecked their entire life chasing after being happy? Oh, this guy makes me happy, or that girl makes me more happy than my wife, or this job will make me happy, or, or that car will make me happy, or, or whatever, whatever they run to. If I get to go on this vacation, it's going to make me happy. The problem is happiness is a temporary emotional state 
that is very, very highly dependent on circumstance. But what happens when the circumstance changes? What happens to the man who leaves his wife for another woman because she makes him happy, and then it turns out this woman was just like his wife, and then he sees another one? You see the foolishness of changing, chasing after happiness? Happiness will never, ever fulfill a person. And that's why God repeatedly exhorts us to pursue joy. And that is because joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He who will never, ever forsake you, he will never abandon you, and he will never, ever leave you feeling anything other than being his and his permanently. Joy is found in the person. And it's the biggest proof of the Holy Spirit living within you that you can show this world and that you are yielded to God is that when you have peace in the midst of a storm, when you have joy, when you have that permanent state of mind that God is in control and that you trust him, you remember when Paul and Silas got whipped and thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, I don't think they were happy with their situation. I don't think as their raw, whipped backs were grinding against a stone wall, chained into a dark, damp, probably freezing dungeon, that they were particularly happy at that point, but they were full of joy. Because they know that their Redeemer lives. And they were able to sing and witness to those people in the jail and eventually even lead many of them to Christ and even the jailer. You will never, ever, ever, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you strive, no matter how much you work at it, experience true happiness apart from spiritual joy. It can't happen. God has made it that way. So that, we don't, so that we don't try to do it through our acts of the flesh, but only as our spirit is connected with his spirit can we experience joy and all those other fruits of the Holy Spirit like peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We can't ever experience that apart from him. And you will know that true joy when you get to know the person that the joy comes from. That's why joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and a fruit of God living in you through the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And it's not something that is emotionally understood. It's not something to, to necessarily wrap your mind around, but it's a, it's a function of trust and it's a function of your will to surrender your emotions to God and say, God, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Though everything else in the planet looks like it's rising up against me, I trust you. I, had a, I read a couple articles this week. I, I, read, a, I read a lot. <laughs> and I, read a, I follow um, articles having to do with emergency medical services, and there was a lot of articles this week talking about... Um, substance abuse, PTSD, um, 
within first responders, and when I say first responders, I mean paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, police, and how many of them were burning out, how many of them were turning to suicide, and things like that. And Tammy and I had this discussion as we were driving to go pick up a picnic table that we're gonna bring over to the church one of these days, it's sitting in the, over in the parsonage, um, about this, and I was just, I asked Tammy, I said, you know, I said, why don't you, I said, what do you think it is with me that although sometimes, you know, I go on calls usually with kids that'll bother me for a while and I might be quiet at home for a couple days, but I don't like, have never thought I get, I, I just need to go out and buy, buy alcohol or I need to go smoke a cigarette or I need to, I need to, um, you know, just go do something over here to, or get pills to relax me or anything. I said, I've always been pretty emotionally stable when it comes to some of the pretty awful things I've seen. And, and she just said, God. That was her one word answer was God. And I just realized, I said, yeah, I said, you know, so many people I've worked with would like leave work and immediately go to a bar and, and drink away a lot of the stuff they saw. I just actually, one of them that I used to work with in Kenosha right before I moved here just died of esophageal cancer because he was such a heavy drinker. And people that would, you know, they would turn to medication, they would turn to alcohol, they would turn to gambling, they would do all these self-destructive things in emergency services because they couldn't deal with all that, the stuff that they had gone through. And it just showed me in my own life the truth of what I'm talking about right here. It isn't because I'm some emotional, giant, strong, er, 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 you know, tough guy. It's simply because I've had the Holy Spirit Amen. in my life that has always just taken away that pain, and I've known the joy of the Lord. Even when everything is sometimes literally blowing up around me, I have always had that peace in the midst of the storm. I've always been the one that's willing to probably do something a little bit more risky because I know that if anything happens, where I'm going to go, where other people are more scared of that kind of thing. God's always been the foundation for me and the foundation of joy that's held my mental and emotional house strong, and I thank him for that. Well, that brings us to the second point, and that is the result. To know, as James said, testing produces patience. Let me define testing for a moment. Sometimes we read in the Bible where God tests somebody, and you're wondering if, if God is putting these people in a situation and just seeing what will happen. I wouldn't define testing like that. Testing is defined as a life circumstance in which God allows to show us our character at the deepest level. God doesn't put us in a situation and kind of just pull up a chair back here and kind of go, hmm, I wonder what he's going to do. Hey, hey, Gabriel, what do you think? Michael, what do you think? What do you think he's going to do? What do you think? I don't know. I, I, we're going to see how he reacts to this. No, he knows. He knows exactly how we're going to respond to every situation. But he loves us anyway, even when we fail. Testing shows us, shows us what we are made of. It is to show us, not God. God already knows. 
It is often said that a man's true character is revealed when he's completely alone with no accountability to anybody. And most men will kind of, when I say something like that, most men will go, yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? But you know what? Failure doesn't automatically equal punishment. It doesn't automatically equal chastisement from God. Often, it just simply means a delay of further blessings in your life. It may, that blessing may be spiritual growth. It might be a new job. It might be something in the physical realm, or it could be something in the spiritual realm. Maybe God has this position in the kingdom that he wants to bring you to, but he can't quite get you there yet because you don't have the character to carry it. And you know it. And so you're going to doubt him. So you're not going to, to grow into that position because you're going to say, but God, I got this problem over here. I can't possibly come up to this. You're going to argue with him like Moses did. It might be that increase of spiritual influence that your disobedience is holding you back from. And God will allow this failure again and again and again until you're in, finally get to that spiritual desert to where you're finally going, God, I have nowhere else to go but you. And he finally gets that, gets you into that place where you finally and completely repent of this thing. And he brings you into obedience at whatever point he is allowing you to be tested in. You see this throughout biblical history. You see it in the Bible when the nation of Israel was wandering in the desert. They kept coming back to the same point and they would go through another test. And they would fail the test. And God in heaven would kind of go, okay, take another lap. They'd come back to that same point. If, if you trace, if you actually pull out a map and trace where they went, they went in a circle for 40 years. And, he's, and it's like they got and they had a testing. And they rebelled. And God, take another lap. And you would think that sooner or later they'd be coming by that same bush going, I've seen that bush before. Or I've seen that mountain cliff before. Or that same lizard was sitting there last time we came through there. And God even lamented in Numbers 14 when he said, how am I going to deal with these people? I've tested them these 10 times. They've taken 10 laps and they still won't repent. And they still won't follow him. 10 times. That's why he had to let that generation die off and a new one come up. They just would not get rid of that slave mentality they had. Listen to me, church family. There is nothing this world has to offer you that will bring you joy. Nothing. Joy is only found as we follow after God and his plan for our life. And God will keep you on that merry-go-round, taking another lap, taking another lap, taking another lap, until you get so motion sickness of going around in circles that you fall at his feet and say, okay, God, have your way in me. For us Christians, that means instead of focusing on taking these laps, we are to focus on the finish line. We are to focus on the arms of Christ as he stands there at the finish line, ready to take us into his arms, either when we come into natural death or we are raptured and caught up to heaven to be with him. That is our goal in life, is to keep our eyes focused on him so we don't have to take these laps, so we don't have to, to keep going through these trials, but we can just run into his arms. And, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
But that's enough about failing a test. Let's look at the blessings of passing these trials. Number one, it reinforces godly character. When you say no to sin, it just reinforces the no. It just reinforces that God's word is true in your life. And it keeps you from spinning your wheels. It keeps you from that circle route in a desert. It builds that firm foundation in your life. Instead of being on the shaky sand of everything in this world giving you pleasure, instead of of you feeling like you're walking in an earthquake where you're stumbling all over the place, you are on the firm foundation of his word and his moral character, and you don't ever have that conflict within you. It creates within us an agreement of God's opinion of sin and his hatred of that sin that we struggle with. That, that's what repentance is. It's turning away and agreeing with God that his word is true about this situation, this sin, this whatever it is, his word is true about it. And number four, it gives us a tender heart for those who also struggle. And it gives us the witness that we need, the ability to come alongside somebody who also struggles with some of the sins that we have overcome through the Holy Spirit to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I have struggled with that. But I can tell you standing here today that through Jesus Christ, I have the victory. And I have that victory moment by moment, day by day, year after year, and he can do it for you also. And if we do that, it forms within us another fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is patience. Patience is defined as trust in God and his will for you. You will trust him no matter what comes. And that is why patience is so closely tied together with perseverance. It's that enduring faith in that whatever comes, our spirit says, God, I have placed my full trust in you. And that brings us to our final point. We've looked at what our reaction to the trials of this life should be. And we've seen what the potential result is. Now, let's look at the reward. And the reward is let patient have its perfect work. The reward of patience is the ability of our submitted will to triumph over the emotions of the moment. A revealing of faith in God's good work. I said before that there is no greater witness in this world than having peace in the midst of a personal or even worldly storm. When I first got saved, a man in Chicago became famous. You may have heard of him, Joseph Cardinal Bernadine. He was the archbishop and a cardinal in Chicago. Late in his life, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer, depending on what stage they find it in, at that time especially, had almost a 100% mortality rate. And it was not only 100% that you're going to die, you're going to die painfully, especially back then in the 90s. We've advanced a little bit more in medicine, but not, not with pancreatic cancer. It's a, it's a fairly grim diagnosis. And all the world you know, kind of looked at him and said, you know, well, this is God's man and God allowed pancreatic cancer and all that. 
But you know what? He walked with such grace and with such peace that people started to change their opinions and, and mocking him, you know, the, the, the chattering masses out there that will mock anything Christian. You know, they stopped mocking at him and they started looking at him and say, how does this man have this kind of a peace? How can he walk with such love and grace? Until I, I saw a national magazine, I don't remember it was Newsweek or Time, but they had him on the cover. And I remember the byline that said, he has shown us how to live in faith by the way he died. And I thought, what a witness to the world. I have no idea what the rest of his ministry was like, but by his death, he showed us the trueness of having that joy within us and that development of that patience as we walk with God and continue to turn our lives over to him more and more every day. And that perfect work that is talked about here in James is simply maturity in our faith. This is what we are to become as Christians. But too many of us stick over, want to stick over here in the kindergarten and not let the trials of life grow us in our faith and increase our trust in God. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He said, therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. We shouldn't have to talk about this over and over and over again. We should be able to move on to other things. It's time for the Christian church to graduate from kindergarten. Amen? It's time for us to want to develop a maturity in our life. And that comes through a faithfulness in our pursuit of God. Too many of us spend our lives avoiding situations that can stretch us. But that's not God. That's not his will for us. If we continually try to avoid conflict, if we tr continually try to avoid the situations that are meant to mature us, how can we ever mature? It would be like not sending a child to school and expecting them to learn algebra. It can't happen. And it's the same way in our spiritual life. And it's really, especially us as adults, we, we get to the point in our lives where we are more concerned with earthly comfort than we are with spiritual growth. But how much of our life gets shipwrecked and our spiritual growth gets shipwrecked because of that kind of attitude? I think I may have used this in another message, but it, it just fit with the end of this one. And as we close our service today, I just wanted to read it as a reminder that the plans that we have for our life aren't anything compared to God's plan for our life. God wants to use us in such incredible ways. And this poem from Rev Leonard Ravenhill reminds me of that and makes me want to continue to trust him more, continue to say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. It was written by Leonard Ravenhill later in his life. And it goes like this. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will, will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still.
would he have me rich? But I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. And he ends it with a prayer. Lord of the years that are left of me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me and mold me to the pattern that thou hast planned. My friends, true godliness cannot come to you except if you are willing to go through the trials that he puts in front of you. You can't possibly grow in, this, in the kingdom of God unless you just simply trust him, walk through it with him, learn from them, and continue to trust him and let that faith be built within you. We need to embrace the trials of life because you know what? He's God, and he won't relent until he has it all. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts, and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.